All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, Josh. Hello, hello. Marcelo. Hello, everyone. And Austin. Hey, everybody. All right, and we are your central hub for political discourse. Today, we're going to be discussing <laughs> Facebook becoming meta. I can't even get that out with a straight face. So Facebook has decided to rebrand themselves. We have some of the details, and then we will present you with some of our thoughts on where we think virtual reality and the metaverse will be taking us going forward. And before that, we have some announcements. As you all know, we are all over social media. You can find us on Meta. Oh, sorry, they're not there yet. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And please go sub to our YouTube channel. So that way you won't be behind on any of the Between the Liars content. We will also be live streaming whenever possible. Saturdays at noon central. Uh, we have busy schedules. Uh, and I'll myself be out for a couple of weeks. But um, again, whenever we can, we try. And the live stream can be accessed through YouTube channel and the Facebook page, meta page, I guess. But yeah, just catch us whenever you can. Yeah, and our last announcement is that you can get the um, merch with that has our logo on it on Redbubble. It comes on t-shirts, mugs, and all types of things. You can slap it on there. So if you just look up Between the Liars on Redbubble, you'll find all kinds of awesome things if you are so inclined. All right, so as mentioned in our preview, Facebook has rebranded itself as Meta. Uh, really, the driving factor behind this, according to Mark Zuckerberg, is that Facebook wants to be known for more than just their social media. They did mention that Facebook, as far as the app and the social media site, will remain the same. And also since Facebook owns Twitter and WhatsApp and all that other stuff, they claim that that will also remain the same. So they're wanting to move forward with more of a virtual reality, augmented reality, virtual world to help people connect that way. And I think Marcelo has some more details on what the metaverse is going to entail. So for some people who haven't been paying attention, I don't blame you because it's a lot of like corporate talk and like a lot of like investor talk because like, like they want to make it sound exciting, but obviously it's not there yet. Facebook now Meta is also including a very heavy virtual reality, augmented reality component. So if you didn't know about this uh, a few years ago and, and still like recently, they've been experimenting with virtual reality. Uh, Facebook is sort of like a pioneer in the budget sense. Like their VR sets are some of the cheaper ones in the market, and they're not not that expensive and not that great, but they're serviceable. So they have all of this capacity to put people in the virtual world. And I'm guessing, and we can talk about this later, that the pandemic made a lot of this much more feasible and, and, and makes a lot more sense now um, more than before. So I guess I'm curious, and we might not have an answer here, but I'm wondering how the metaverse is going to be different from other VR available today. Uh, like there's a lot of brands out there who are trying to put their mark on that and be able to expand themselves into the world of virtual reality with the gamer sets. Some are requiring a PC to run, some are independent, like trying to reach a broader audience. Facebook clearly has the infrastructure. Do we have any idea of how they are planning to really set themselves apart for this portion of it? One of the key standouts for the Oculus system, and that's the company that Facebook acquired when they made their first endeavor into virtual reality, was Oculus. And so the Oculus Quest has been that budget option that Mar Marcelo talked about that's been quite revolutionary than it's how it has been lower priced, but also in its independence from a computer, because that's been a lot of the ongoing problem is, is like, okay, we have these virtuality headsets. The headsets are nice. They can deliver good audio. The picture looks nice. You don't get motion sick as bad. However, you have a cable running from you to a computer. So how is your environment really? And you know, you have to install these sensors in all the corners of your room so it can track you. Well, then Facebook then comes out with this headset that's like, yeah, well, we put cameras on the headset and motion more sensors in the handset and it can just read the room itself. It doesn't need a computer. And it can also track what your hand, like individual fingers are doing if we want like in the right application. So 
the progression they've made with it has been really incredible in terms of the VR space, because personally, even as someone like who's a technology enthusiast, VR has been one of the things that hasn't really developed as much as I would have liked or thought it would have um, in the past 10 years. So I think the point is like, there's not really many big VR companies. Like there's been companies doing it like Valve, who owns the Steam um, PC library stuff. HTC had their Vive, but there hasn't been like a big multi-billion dollar company making VR, even with Microsoft's little adventures into it. So I think from them, it's going to be like more of a decade play out and we'll see a lot of innovative technologies come out of this um, market. Cause I think we'll see a lot lot more market capital go towards VR. And I think it will spur a lot of other companies like Google and Microsoft to invest in it more as well. I wasn't aware that uh, Oculus was owned by Facebook. I, I had a friend who had, I would assume then, the way you described it, the Facebook version, because it, it was self-contained. And you basically set up your virtual reality headset to where you set the boundaries, and then it kind of tells you if you're walking outside of those inside the room, don't fall down the steps, stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, I didn't know that that was Facebook. Uh, Austin, what do you think on this? Uh, they're really cool. <laughs> My roommate actually has a Quest, so I've got to try it out quite a bit. It's really neat. But like Josh had mentioned, we've had VR headsets for quite a while, mostly confined to the realm of gaming as far as I'm aware. My assumption going forward is that Facebook, now Meta, which I can barely say with a straight face, I don't know. It's become the new Meta in memes, which is great. I love that. I imagine they're going to go for more lifestyle applications. I don't know. Um, some of our listeners might remember back to Google Glass when they tried to do an AR platform, augmented reality, which basically uh, virtual reality, you have a complete overlay. It blacks out everything around you. You see what's on the screen in front of you. Augmented reality, it kind of gives you a digital overlay of what you're, is actually real physically. So like I could be looking at my desk and I could have a, I don't know, a digital keyboard or something that doesn't actually exist there, but it's kind of overlaid onto the surface. I don't know what that would look like given what Facebook is doing currently, but given that they're mostly known as a social media platform, I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to mind as far as them being able to set themselves apart instead of strictly being gaming or movies or entertainment, maybe moving into more of that kind of space where you could have some different aids and type thing for life, like have an overlay. If you're, I don't know, you're cooking or something, you see your recipe through your glasses while you're cooking. You see techniques on what you're using. It'll reference through some of their other social media platforms to be able to give you information quickly. I don't know. I think it's uh, pretty neat stuff. They need to make it worthwhile for the average person because obviously your average person is not going to be like, oh, $200, $300 for you know, something I put, have to put in my eyes. Like, I love that, you know, give, take my money. I think it's still like in that phase where people who have a lot of income or like the disposable income and are willing to put in the price tag are going to get it. But I am... I was very excited about Google Glass a few years ago. I'm very sad that it didn't work out. I was looking forward to like a time where I could like make these glasses actual Google Glasses and like see like, oh, you know, like instead of like having to look at my phone for Google Maps, I can just look at it here. Obviously, there's a lot of drawbacks, but I was very excited for the technology and still am. To me, it seems like you can have the benefit of this immersive world. And I think one of the benefits of Facebook taking this over is that when you have the money and you have the infrastructure, you potentially have the ability to also reduce the cost to the consumer, which means it becomes available to more people. Um, and as they develop the technology and they find ways to make it cheaper, those of us who are not able to drop, you know, two, three, four, five, six hundred dollars on something can also experience these things or have rich friends. One of the two. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, don't, I feel like 
there's this tension between your ability to have your life enhanced and also detracted because yes, I might enjoy that augmented reality and my friends and I can watch a video when it's more immersive, but at the same time, there is the potential for it to take away from the interpersonal aspects and I don't know, the dystopian movies, uh, The Matrix, Wally, where we live in these uh, computer-centric worlds. And I'm not saying that that's where we've come to, but it, it can uh, lead there. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think we're already there in, in a way. Like, I like... Uh, you know, tell me you miss like asking for directions in the street. I do like, not. I have, <laughs> like when people ask me for like, like, hey, do you know where this is? And it's like, do you know, like, you know where it is? Like, just pull out your phone and look it up. But, like, that's usually what I end up doing. So I, there's a lot of things that right now in, in, in our lives that we just do because we have like this, like I check this, I don't know, a thousand times a day probably or more. And uh, it's just second nature to me and I just do it. And so if you could just put this here, I mean, it would take me some time to adjust, but I don't think it's that much different. And and I think that is the key because you, you'll you have people coming in and saying, this is destroying, you know, our interpersonal interactions. And you go back and you see black and white photos and people on the subway weren't talking to each other. and They were on newspapers. You've just integrated a new way to not have to interact with people. And that, you know, ties into human nature. The other thing is what you mentioned, Marcelo, it becomes more inconspicuous, right? It can be integrated into our life. My phone, I can still be having a conversation with you, or at least pretend to, and be looking at my phone for directions versus if I've got this headset over me, it's pretty obvious I'm not paying attention to you in the real world. Maybe we're connected virtually, but not in the real world. So making it more inconspicuous and integratable, I think is key too. Uh, Josh, what do you think? I would definitely say that augmented reality is the pathway to holograms because holograms are impossible, actually. But augmented reality can make it look like there's an actual hologram there very easily. Um, but real holograms, just it's, it's just not going to happen. But because then it doesn't matter how bright it is. It doesn't matter what the weather condition is because the image is being generated on your glasses or um, even even like a contact lens of some type. So that's definitely, you know, some part of like looking forward to it. even when we think about going to like um, you go to some sports stadiums, the um, advertisement spots are just blank green spaces or a single colored spaces so they can be chroma keyed so that each individual localized broadcast can paste on their own advertisement based on where the contracted game is out and based on what channel has contract to put ads there stuff like that can be done as you know then as well billboards can very easily be changed without having to change the poster you just upload the new file and people see the new billboard i mean digital billboards already do that but then we don't have to send lights up there we don't have to power it other than just whatever reference that has our augmented reality interpreted remind me again why holograms don't work and like yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, because the idea of a three-dimensional light that you can somehow emit um, is one really, really hard because light doesn't stop. It just it goes. So you can blast it up and you can blast it to the side. You can blast it at all angles. But how do you make light stop without having pixels of some type to give it an artificial border? Because light will just travel until it hits something. So you can't just have light that stops where you want it to. Just light goes until it dissipates. Makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, Josh jumps straight into the ability for us to be just bombarded with advertising. <laughs> so we've now streamed light and there's, you know, getting a message from Mark Zuckerberg about here is the ads for you as you're, I don't know. Uh, what do you guys, uh, Austin, what do you think on this? I think the first ad he'd be sending was trying to prove that he's not a lizard person, but that's beside the point. Good luck with um, that with the barbecue sauce on the shelf behind him. 
That's where I keep my barbecue. I don't know what you're talking about. You see it on my bookshelf back there. He was pulling um, from that, you then. That <laughs> Austin was the model human. <laughs> yeah, as I blink sideways. But yeah, so I don't know. I think just like with any other tool, there's the opportunity for abuse, but there's also the opportunity to do a lot of good. And this kind of technology is not excluded. Given our track record on uh, phones and social media, though, I'm leaning towards it's going to be very ripe for abuse. It has caused a lot of people to kind of shell into their own little um, ideological holes and get kind of, you know, as far as information goes, get the information they're looking for, which is all fine and dandy. And so you realize you're not hearing the other side. It has given advertisers a fast track to get more products you don't need into your hands. I don't know. The distance between technology and my head is already too short for my taste. I think the shorter that becomes, the more it's going to be harder for people to control themselves. It's going to require a type of character that, I mean, we need that kind of character in our society and our culture, but I don't think we have it at the moment to handle. Yeah, technology is outpacing our ability to handle it, if that makes sense. And I think that really kind of goes without saying, looking around at how things are going. I think that distinction you made is important because like problematic people and problematic uses of things, technology, what have you, is non-unique to technology. Like we just find ways to corrupt whatever we're using in society. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about how there could be a medical benefit where it's like, you know, your life alert goes off and they automatically send you an ambulance. But then, you know, I'm blinking twice and Amazon is shipping me whatever product I was thinking about. And that might be a little too intrusive or you pocket dial uh, and suddenly you have a $500 ambulance ride coming your way that you didn't mean to send. I, I don't know. I, I see the good and I see the bad you're talking about. Uh, Mars- if, you, if you don't have Prime Ambulance, though, like they can come and they, they will reject it. They'll be like, oh, sorry, I thought you were like a Prime Premium member. You can pay to skip to the front of the line. (laughs) Yeah, like all of this, and and I'm repeating myself, but all of this technology already exists in a way. I'm not advocating for it to become worse. I'm just saying, like, I bought allergy medicine at CVS three months ago and then last week i was there again and they gave me a coupon for for allergy medicine like how do you know that i buy those things and that i buy the cereal Hmm. like it's just like they they know a lot and you know it's it's just out there well they well and that's what um these devices will provide mark zuckerberg with the ultimate goal if they can get you to wear a pair of glasses around that have a camera on them and that know where you are 24-7 in every single action you take, they get the gold pot. They get everything. Because there's a while back when Mark Zuckerberg was at this congressional hearing and this you know congressperson just kept grilling um, Zuckerberg being like, how does Facebook make money? Do you sell people's information? And Zuckerberg said, no, we deliver advertisements. It's our data. We're very protective about it. We're not giving that out to anyone. That's how we make our money. That's our gold pot. So there's definitely that aspect of a continuation of they will be able to do a lot of a lot more research and understanding and development of already with whatever dark secrets and experiments that Facebook runs and their data labs that these leaks keep talking about. But this technology is still, I think, in my opinion, it still has a chance to be like really useful and really good because think about the ability to have not just a Zoom meeting, but a hologram meeting across the world because you're both wearing these set of glasses and are standing in like this room that just has a couple of cameras. And maybe, you know, in 30, 40 years, you won't have to have specialized cameras for it. You'll just be able to use a laptop and put on the glasses and well, bam, it will be like your meetings in person because that is what this technology will ultimately really like render out to. And so I think for that level of connectivity and how that will improve like certain things, there will be still a lot of good that can come from this technology because like heads up displays will be really useful navigation stuff, safety um, stuff, even like the ability of like glasses like this that will have, you know, or have lights to make the heads up display will be able to brighten your surroundings and basically increase, you know, the brightness if you need them to. So there's all types of 
different applications this will be of use in the future that is you know even hard to like imagine because think about like like 3d modeling or a medical student being able to work with basically anatomically collect you know they won't need to have necessarily a cadaver if they want to practice they'll be able to have an augmented reality cadaver and be able to do it just as they would because this is what this technology will provide and things for artists and engineers and there's just so much that augmented reality can promise us in the future i, I think what you were talking about uh, a second ago about the development and how it brings us together was especially true this past year in the classroom like ndsu got uh, a grant to put high flex equipment into all of their classrooms and what that did was it would put a, a, a camera at the front of the room that would face at the professor. It would put a camera towards the students and then it would sync with your Zoom so that you can open your Zoom room and the students, you could be run through your classroom, the students who are present would be able to still interact with students who are online and vice versa. And it really created a way for professors to be able to teach during COVID that was as close to the classroom as we were going to get when we were required to be more distant and do it through online. There were pros, there were cons. Uh, I think the worst part for me using it was all the black screens that I had to deal with because students wouldn't turn their cameras out. So it's kind of a one-way street there. Uh, and then obviously you don't get that interpersonal connection then. But uh, Facebook, when they went down a few weeks ago, that caused a lot of problems. I don't know how many of you tried to like keep opening the app. Like, oh, it's like going back to the fridge and there's nothing new in there. I just like, oh, yep, Instagram's still down. Like just mindless. I didn't have a reason to go on. I just didn't have a way to mindlessly scroll through the internet and see what other people were doing. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it was a good thing for that short amount of time, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Not to be the Luddite in the room, but I think that brings up my chief issue with social media, <laughs> just in generally. If you know Facebook went down for that time, a stretch of time where people weren't, I guess they weren't able as readily to blankly look at their phone and doom scroll. It's like, I would consider that a net win for people, uh, just generally. I think there's a lot of good from talking to people around you and having it face to face as much as you can. But there's typically not a whole lot of good that comes from the doom scrolling that those, you know, the Facebook UI and Instagram UI are designed to keep you doing. I don't think it's a good thing for people. For me, it's it's the problem is more about Facebook's monopoly over those things, because if one goes down, they all go down. Then it is the interconnectivity part that Josh was talking about earlier, because I've, I've got friends who are international when I went to tech. I can't message them unless I use something like Facebook Messenger because texting doesn't work internationally for us. So, you know, there is a benefit there and that that connection can be there and, and I wouldn't be using it for doom scrolling. For me, the main problem is, like I mentioned, the fact that there's kind of this monopoly to where they're all interconnected at that point because it wasn't just Facebook that went down. It was also Instagram and WhatsApp that people weren't able to use all at the same time. Yes, I would. I would be inclined to agree that it, it's good that I couldn't, you know, check Facebook or like Instagram or any any like any any of that for a few hours. But I also talk exclusively with my family and my friends back home uh, through WhatsApp, and I just couldn't. And I was like sending emails like a caveman. I was like, "Hey, um, here's a here's a, what you wanted to know, but I can't really send it to you right now." But I think that speaks a lot to the vulnerability that that Ryan was talking about. Is that if one goes down, they all go down, and we're just screwed. And so that's that's another sign that 
they should probably have other we should have more than one monopoly on that well i think there's still something we said about as much as the you know as bad as the monopoly is the monopoly isn't what caused the if the one goes down they all goes down bad engineering was bad structural design why they couldn't even get back into their own building their security system was hosted on their own internal servers so when they left they couldn't get their bar scan card they had the little id cards they pressed up the door but it wouldn't unlock because their security authentication system down i mean hang on audience we're gonna go in here on like a short little tangent of my rant of bad information technology infrastructure and that catastrophe of engineering that was the facebook crash okay so you think about all right facebook goes down no problem oh wait a minute your employees can't sign into their desktops because instead of running Windows, but like in an enterprise setting, like any normal other company probably does. No, Facebook has its own internal operating system and workspace that all of their computers work on. So their software engineers couldn't even sign in to the back end to, to start repairing it. Oh, and then wait a minute, when they left the buildings, they couldn't get back into the buildings because their security software that um, lets them into the buildings was also hosted on their internal softwares. Oh, and then wait a minute, they couldn't, once they even got access to one of the things to reprogram it, they couldn't um, get proper communication with it because, oh, wait a minute, the security system provides an authentication check for all network act, internal network activity. So they had to basically send two people into two physical locations, peer-to-peer connect to these systems through laptops with like Bluetooth USB cards stuck into them to communicate to these things and manually upload these things at the same time so the fix could be authenticated to then spread it across the network. Oh my goodness, what an awful instance of engineering. There's just no reason to have a house of cards like that. That was like a machine that had to be pressed like three different places at the same time to turn back on. That what is, a horrific that a heist movie. design. <laughs> that's a heist movie, and, but like a reverse heist movie, like trying to... to, to to get something back. All of that problem, and we didn't even have the AI becoming self-aware and messing with us in that way. It was literally just human error. Uh, I think we need to go back for a second. I think we owe uh, Facebook an apology for criticizing the mindless mindless scrolling because Andrew Count says pointless Facebook scrolling is the reason I'm hearing you now. So that's got to be good. So hey, you know what? Uh, apologies to the algorithm because you are helping us get our message out there. So I appreciate that. <laughs> All hail the algorithm. We need to, that, that needs to be our first announcement from now on. All hail the algorithm and the non-lizard Mark Zuckerberg for allowing us to broadcast on this platform. Well, the algorithm also listens to what we're saying. So maybe we should start every broadcast with like Shang-Chi, Marvel, Theories, Fortnite, Coco Melon, Coco Melon, Theories, Explained. And then after we can move on to the, to the rest of the... I can feel our viewer count going up by the second. This is incredible. Mostly coming to talk about, what'd you say, Coco Puffs and uh, Marvel. <laughs> uh, I don't even think that we're, I don't know, we're, we're not really at a point where we need to worry, at least I don't think, about like a Skynet type incident where we become, the, the AI becomes self-aware and starts mess, messing with us. That might be a little too much of a doomsday, but I, I, I do, I don't know, I have torn feelings on the intrusiveness of social media and technology in general because I love that Amazon Prime gets me what I'm like you know what I need a flower pot for this plant that's dying it needs a bigger pot and it's here in 12 hours like you know stuff books for classes is great uh, I don't like the fact that it seems like they listen to what you're saying to be able to make suggestions and then they, I can't say that they force you to buy things but you know when it's put in front of you the temptation's right there uh, what do you guys think on kind of that double-edged sword of making life easier more convenient and arguably more enjoyable but also the problems that come along with it i i cannot say that my life is massively easier now than it has ever been and it's it's only it can only go up from here honestly like i don't i don't really like every problem and i'm very privileged to have the 
to live in the place where I can do this and also have a job and like have the resources that allow me to do this. But like every problem that I have can be solved with like five clicks, probably three if I'm lucky. Like it's it's like if I need anything, I can just get it. And I can and I'm I get mad when I cannot get it in like three days shipping. Are you kidding me? Like like come on, you can do better. I do think that's one of where's Facebook's power and especially with augmented reality stuff will become a lot more prominent because we talk about the algorithm and how it preferences what it shows us on a social media feed or how Google preferences one result or another. Facebook's augmented reality is going to be preferencing things. So the textual reality people experience will have like this algorithmic pref- like pass over it as they go through it. If there's going to be an augmented reality billboard, then an algorithm is going to determine what advert is going to be there for it. Not necessarily, you know, and because that's, you know, that's how when you buy a Facebook ad, you pay for impressions, you pay for views. So it would change like, oh, here's the billboard for this, you know, constantly. It would be a very personal billboard. They, each car rider in the car may see a different picture on the billboard because the algorithm will have that preferential. And so that's definitely like something to be concerned because like if you're walking through the street and it's like making business recommendations, like, well, who is and who isn't it recommending and why and you know what impacts will that have in the future? I definitely agree with that point. People tend to forget that uh, algorithms, machines, all these things, they're programmed by people and people can never be truly objective. They have their own biases because we're all people. We all understand that. It's really hard to stuff those things to the side when you're trying to do something. But when you are in the process of programming something that is going to feed information to millions upon millions of people, that's when it gets a little bit dicey. And like Josh was just mentioning with kind of picking winners and losers as far as who gets advertised and such, that can be kind of hard when uh, the people that are programming that algorithm may not have the best intentions on the front end. And that kind of brings me to another point. I'm digging back to high school info, so don't hold me to it. But we read Brave New World back in high school. And if I'm remembering correctly, the way that they controlled the people, the way that they kept them satiated, it wasn't through like jackboot authoritarianism. It was through pleasure. They gave them a drug called Soma, if I'm remembering right. And it basically made them happy, made them docile and everything else. What is the best way to control and manipulate people? Sometimes it's through giving them what they want. And we see that a lot through the overuse of a lot of these social media sites. As far as like you give them exactly what they want, they will spend all their time on their phone. I am just as guilty as anyone else. Take that a step further into the world of you have, you know, VR, AR glasses on 24-7. You're constantly being fed information programmed by people that may not have the best intentions that is going to keep you happy, but may not be the best thing for you in the in the long run. I don't know. That's just where my mind goes. Again, digging back pretty far for some of that info, so don't hold me to it. Well, even a practical application of that that we saw when uh, Avatar came out, that was one of the first major movies in 3D that was wildly, wildly successful. And there, I remember there was a news article. I don't remember what news outlet ran it, but they were talking about the amounts of depression and suicide went up in Europe because they would go, the, the teens would go in and they would watch this gorgeous world that they were basically immersed in. And then they would go outside and it would be contrasted in, I think it was about February when it came out. And it's just dark and gloomy as it is in the wintertime. And it actually contributed to rates of depression because reality was not as satisfying as virtual reality. So when you have the ability to enhance your your views um, or the way that you live in the world, in contrast, actual reality can become depressing, or at least that's what it seemed to be the takeaway at the time here's a here's a hot take before the hot takes is like if you can make your life like if you can trick your brain into believing that your life is better than it is and it's not hurting anyone technically except yourself maybe 
doing it doesn't sound like a bad idea. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I think that for many people who materially, you know, I will never have a 10 foot blue girlfriend. And like, maybe with Avatar, I can like, it's just something and you know, not to make light of, you know, career warning suicide and like depression and all of that happened after the movie came out. But yeah, like if, if you told me like, not an ad, but I watched Dune last night, like Dune obviously sounds like a really bad place to live in, like the, the planet where all of that happens. But being in the world sounds pretty amazing. And if I could just jump in the world for like an hour, I can promise it would be just an hour, but I would do it. Like it, it, it actually sounds pretty, it sounds pretty neat. I think people should be able to do that if they want to. I mean, in the same way that you can't ever get a hangover if you just don't ever stop drinking, you can't ever get sad about the real world if you just don't ever unplug. I mean, you, you, you're missing the steps here, Ryan. You just, you're not, you're not supposed to, you know, you don't go back to your world. You just stay plugged in. This is, I think, I think you have found the, the, the destination here, Ryan. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I support that message, but uh, I think that there are practical applications. I mean, one thing that we see now is like, if you live in Alaska and you, you don't get light for, you know, one of the seasons period, because like the sun just doesn't come up. They have, you know, artificial lighting in order that you can actually live there. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'll meet you halfway there, Josh. <laughs> Why don't why don't we talk about the potential security threats here? Because this is something that has immediately popped to my mind, uh, especially because on TV, I don't remember what show it was, uh, but they were talking about digital wallets and these people got locked out of, these were like hedge fund managers locked out of like millions of dollars. It wasn't SVU, but some crime show. Uh, and the, the crime was that these criminals had locked these people out of their, their access to, to their digital wallets. Facebook has talked about being able to basically exist in this world and be able to to purchase things, send gifts, etc., inside with cryptocurrency type uh, money or, or the digital transfer. What do we think about the potential security threats for that? Huge. Like, like it's, you know, if, if they own all of your information and the information is not backed up properly, like a, a leak in any of the information can cause massive security risks. I think obviously putting all of your eggs in one basket is never a good idea, but like with the way things are going, you would maybe have no option in the end. Like I know like if Google decided to leak my passwords, I would be screwed. So I use Chrome. I transitioned to Chrome for my job. And like everything I have, all of my passwords, all of my hackers stop listening. All of my stuff is in my Google account. So like if, if you got access to that, then it's game over for me. Based on the story that Josh told earlier about Facebook employees not being able to get back in their building, nah, I don't trust them for security. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some fundamental concerns and especially as computing gets more powerful because if you have an augmented reality and this is going to sound a little out there in the future what if you can mess with someone's google maps what if you can get their location like from them every access of you know of the new internet of things that we keep attaching to ourselves is another point of vulnerability to ourselves for all that you know all that it does yeah and it comes down to the question of how much do you trust the facebook engineers and i'm gonna say with austin here like not much like i guess the more i read about that like the worse it got like how could you not have some third party backup system independent of your own system that's uh, yeah i think especially in the realms of like corporations engaging and like i don't know like what facebook or issue even if it is like some cryptocurrency or if it's just you know facebook trying to become like samsung pay apple pay and google pay maybe that's what they're trying to do also understand that further do you know why they're doing that too it's so they can know what you buy it's so that google can have a transaction record of what you buy because Oh, give them that glorious golden data. That's all they want. So realistically, Facebook introducing a wallet is, as everything they do, it's another data collecting scheme of 
yeah, cool. Now we know everything you purchase. That tells you a lot about a person. What ads to sell them to? I mean, you know, Marcella, how did they know that um, you bought, uh, the, you know, the, yeah, the, so the, the allergy, allergy medicine? medicine? Yeah, the allergy medicine. Like, well, I looked it up and, you know, I was go- I was logged on with my Google account and my mm-hmm. Google Chrome. I looked yeah. up allergy medicine. I checked Amazon. Then I checked CVS. And I went to CVS and they were like, here's a coupon. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. That's well, yeah, well, well, in Venmo, um, Venmo, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, all of that, they won't just even scan your transactions through them. They will just scan your bank account. That's in the terms of service. They want to know everything. And so that's definitely always the cause to concern. And I think as more and more of our social interactions you know, become based on technological reliance, they are always op- going to be open to those concerns because there's no, no such thing as a hacker-proof system at the end of the day. Where there's a will, there's a way. One of my big concerns about their ability to remain secure is that it seems to me that the world's and the opportunities that are being created are outpacing the security systems that protect them. So in theory, the first people to use newer frontiers are also at higher risk because usually security protocols and procedures and systems are created in response to a threat. And they found that threat because there was some kind of a security breach or a security leak. And I don't know, I think to me that's the biggest concern is not just (laughs) the centralized system, but this is so new that that it potentially leaves you very, very vulnerable. I mean, if a hacker can hack your webcam and, you know, that's that's attached by a USB to my computer, <laughs> they've gained access or like they've got, I think the technology is called Spider or something like that, which allows you to remote access computers, uh, which the benefit for that is, is I can access a, a work computer and the security protocols through that. But every time you have a, a technology with a positive benefit, someone comes along and corrupts it. And suddenly you've got a hacker who's now used that to access your physical computer virtually. Actually, really, like in, in a twisted way, I really like the way Josh put it. As in like, you know, I'm not going to steal your data or like, or I might later. But like, what if instead of like your Google Maps saying like, turn left here, it said like, turn right. And then you turn right. And then you're in a wrong lane and then you crash. And then, and, and that's like, you know, that's it for you. Like very slight things that people can do to like mess with, with you. Well, more than a mess, actually, like. I wasn't laughing at the tragedy that that would be. I was laughing at if you are so dependent that you're basically flying blind, then like that is a problem that we need to talk about in addition well, to the ability to hack. Right. But like if, you know, if, if I'm letting my Tesla drive for me, I don't have a Tesla, I wish. But like if, if I'm letting my Tesla drive for me and Tesla is like, oh, wow, look like you, looks like you can keep going. And, you know, it's a bridge. And then, you know, it's. But Tesla thought, like, said said it was okay. So that's true. We do have a computer-driven driving now, so technically that that could also be hacked. Actually, I didn't think about that. That's that's a good point. <laughs> well, um, at least for most self, the Tesla's um, self-driving processors are um, isolated from the rest of the world internally. Except they want to connect they, them now, so you can communicate driver to driver, like a terrible game chat room for road rage. Yeah, but yeah, but there's also the reason of why they don't want the why the hesitancy connect. Because the moment you open up, well, you can't open a door. You know, you can't shut a door once it's been opened. If you, if you make a door, a door exists. So the only way um, is to hard disconnect them. I do think, though, as we look at like, look at like some of these broader problems, we got, you know wondering like you know how like might these realize is if there ever is like a major conflict between 
developed countries and like really advanced industrialized militarized countries we're not actually going to use the trucks and the guns and the tanks again you know that's not what's going to happen it will be through cybernetic attacks and if you could disrupt a city's ar functionality for a couple of days you might cause mass havoc as people stop being able to see what the road signs are depending on how the technology is used like these security elements can be disrupted the same as people have attempted to disrupt water and electricity grids already in the status quo once there is an augmented reality grid to go along with the rest of those grids, it will be as vulnerable as everything else will be. And that's, you know, always why the rush to stay on top of, you know, cybersecurity and artificial intelligence development is so important because you can't afford to fall behind on that, um, especially in the realms of like artificial intelligence development for the, you know, use of security and hacking. Here's a scenario. Okay. And this is very doomer, but like imagine the US goes to war again. But imagine the US goes to war uh, against a country in development and Facebook decides to ally with the US because why wouldn't they? And then they just shut off WhatsApp for an hour. Like if they shut off WhatsApp in like Peru, people wouldn't see it coming. It would be like, oh, what's what's happening? And then it, shutting off like such a vital part, it would be worse than shutting email, I feel, for them because you communicate everything to them. There's another avenue I could see this becoming problematic, and that is uh, with your boss. Uh, when you had the integration of emails and then cell phones, and then the cell phones were given to employees, sometimes, actually very often, I'll change that, very often the expectation is you are on call 24-7. You have the company phone. We are entitled to your life. For the fact that email can be sent to my phone, students often expect that I respond immediately. And unless you set your own parameters, they don't exist. So so there now can be the expectation, oh, it's a sick day. Guess what? You're going to plug into your matrix style VR and you're going to come in anyway. Or, you know, guess what? You are supposed to be on vacation, but we really need you here and we don't have to fly you back. You don't have to fly back so you can just come in. So I do see the potential for there to be fewer boundaries between the work and life balance, the ability to truly unplug and relax. And I'm not talking about, you know, like Austin talked about a few weeks ago, touch grass and like go out and connect, ground yourself in reality. I'm talking about I, my mind will never be be fully rested because I always have the ability to be connected. And so I'm always in work mode. I'm always in school mode. If you're you're a kid in school or college, I, I see that potentially becoming too connected in a sense. The benefit of I can talk to someone and, you know, you can maintain long distance relationships, uh, romantic or friendships from another country, etc. But you you also might not be able to fully unplug and, and get the time you need to yourself to uncharge. Here's a question for you. Like, how much do you think that's changed in the last 14 months? Like, with with the with the pandemic and and everything else. Like, I don't think it has a whole lot. I, it's it's been more than 14. What? It's been like two years. Now. <laughs> yeah, almost. Um, but um, but I'm I'm asking like, do you do you feel like you're more connected to work? Do you feel like you're more connected to to like before the pandemic compared to? I don't know that I would say more connected. Anybody else? Um, it was definitely weird for being a year in school and I took classes through Zoom and did my debate tournaments through functionally Zoom and my apartment where I did my classes, where I did the debate tournaments that were my job, where I did the grading that was my job, where I lived and didn't go anywhere because it was a pandemic all in the same four walls definitely has a vastly different aesthetic than normal workplace university environment and so that's definitely notable i definitely think you know there's there's something to be said like the accessibility of work from home maybe if you have a nice enough place they have a dedicated office like room you don't have to use the same room in your apartment but you know well, there's well as we even talked about here recently there's a lot of people who are renting now more days and so having a home office isn't going to be something that a lot of people are going to have so 
I don't know. Maybe we'll put on just, you know, our augmented reality or uh, headsets and we'll just tap through our room settings and switch what room we're in by making it look different and, you know, pray to the Zuck that the pain goes away when we go to sleep. I think on a smaller scale from what Ryan was talking about, the whole, um, you know, they can literally tap into your matrix chair and force you to come into work on your sick days. I think that very, very light we kind of experienced last year being, you know, back in school and everything. Now that professors have kind of been forced to adopt digital media and get more acquainted with things like Zoom, Teams, etc., there definitely feels like more of an expectation that you're available all the time. What that's manifested for for me in some of my classes is that professors feel entitled to make hard changes to very large projects day by day, which is not really appreciated for multiple week long projects and for a class. It's understandable for a job to a certain degree, but I don't know. It just, it feels like that barrier between personal and academic at this point in my life definitely has been deteriorated quite a bit over the past year. I can't imagine on like a professional level where you have to do like actual projects and things. FedEx has been the same. I go in at the same time. It's physical labor. That's not changing. They can't find me otherwise, but a job where you're tethered to your computer, I think the closer it gets to you, uh, the more they'll be able to find you when you don't want to be found. So I don't I don't think that's a great thing for most people. Well, you're coming up on a whole generation of kids who are not going to have any idea of what a snow day is because guess what? It's a Zoom day. Like instead of coming in to class, you just Zoom in. Um, all right. Well, why don't we come back with our final thoughts and our hot takes and we'll be right back. <laughs> It's a two-part hot deck. The first one is mainly about me and like how all of this has like I think that the the metaverse wouldn't be so such a big issue right now if we weren't like already living in sort of like a metaverse. Like the camera here that I talk to, I talk to this camera like every day, pretty much every weekday and probably every every single day and for hours like and so i don't see that much of a difference between having this there and having this here um i might have like a nicer electronic house online but but it's like to me things wouldn't fundamentally change as much and so i feel like if there was a threshold to cross into like our lives being online i think we already crossed that and I crossed that in like March of 2020. And second, I'll I'll say it. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of concerns that I have about the technology and how it can affect us from like corporations controlling our lives, even though they already do in a way. So again, not a lot of change. But I think fundamentally, specifically for people who cannot enjoy things, not even like Avatar, but like with the way things are going right now and the perspective of like, we might not have green areas to enjoy, forests to enjoy and like a, a healthy, nice planet to, to live in, in the future, escaping doesn't sound that bad. And I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, I'm going to start my hot take by saying that I am pleased to announce that I am rebranding myself as Mark Zuckerberg in order to increase my net worth. And beyond that, I'd like to say that I am cautiously optimistic for where this will go. I'm hoping that the augmented reality, virtual reality will have more of an emphasis on the upsides and be able to connect people, bring them closer together, as is the Facebook mission statement. I'm also not naive enough to not think that this is a strategic PR campaign done by Facebook. They've run into a lot of problems lately. They've uh, been associated with uh, people, things, or perceptions of their company that they haven't wanted to be associated with. And I think that this is definitely an attempt to emphasize the other portions of their company and not just be on the social media platform. But I don't think that it's altruistic. The last thing that I would say is I'm hoping that the security protocols keep up with these type of uh, virtual spots to hang out in. Uh, bullying in a cyber world does not need to become a thing that we wind up talking about in the future on this show because we've opened another door. I'm hoping that there will be protocols and that the good will outweigh the bad. 
I would say the hot take is that we're going to progressively get more and more immersed into some type of virtual augmented reality of some type, whether that be for video games, whether it be for personal or business interactions. We'll eventually have very high fidelity virtual worlds that truly push the limit of what we're able to experience through these headsets through augmented reality. When we think about artificial intelligence, how we interact with it, you know, we'll have not necessarily even instead of our, you know, Siri or whatever living on your phone, you'll be able to summon a little digital avatar on your augmented reality glasses just by commanding it to, you'll be able to interact with it. And these technologies will involve in parallel and improve together. So there's definitely a lot of like benefit and a lot of neat things that will come from this technology in the future. However, at the same time and continuance and to be on character with all references to Zuckerberg and their awful campaign and how they like behaved on Twitter, they were just literally tweeting at random people like, hey, did you just see this in our thing? Um, my response is um, silence brand. So I'm not the biggest fan of social media, if you haven't gathered. I'm kind of behind the curve on a lot of those things. Some of that's intentional. Some of that is just I either don't have time for it or much interest in it. That being said, I don't have a particularly positive view of the Facebook brand. I'm not as familiar with this move. I see what Mark Zuckerberg is doing, trying to bring all of the different things that is under the Facebook umbrella under a different name. I don't know if he's trying to break association with Facebook, like Ryan had mentioned earlier, the negative press they've gotten recently, or if he's just trying to consolidate under a different name or not. But that's beside the point. Technology, like I mentioned earlier, earlier, it is a tool. In all of its forms, it is a tool and it can either be used properly or abused. Um, according to data report, the average American spends like seven hours looking at a screen every day. I don't think that's a super great thing. The world is beautiful enough on its own. And I've mentioned a few weeks ago, you should all go out, touch grass and do things. Take the time that you have now to, you know, spend time with your family when appropriate, when you're able to spend time with people, go out and experience the world the way it is. And again, as far as this technology being a tool, use it appropriately. Like after you've gone through all of our content, every single bit of Between the Liars content that you can, after you've seen us on everything, unplug for a little bit, take some time off. I think that to be overly optimistic about a lot of these things that are developing and coming out is to be underly skeptical of the people programming them. We've seen them abuse their power before. We've seen them more or less sell us out to advertisers to fill their pockets while harming our mental health and taking advantage of our time. I don't know why anyone would be over the moon about a lot of these things that are coming out without having a healthy dose of skepticism. So in short, live life and go do things. It's good. It's good out there. All right. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars and we'll catch you back here next week. 